0: Welcome to Media Over Matter, a podcast where we bring to light important social justice issues and discuss the different ways these matters are depicted by the mainstream news and media and then presented to the public. I'm one of your hosts, Fiona Massalunis.
1: I'm Kaya Kelly. I'm Toby Oyurvedes.
2: And I'm Justin.
0: And this is Media Over Matter. Hello, and welcome back to Media Over Matter. In today's episode, we are talking about the most recent police brutality killings that have occurred. We're going to discuss the Derek Chauvin verdict, and we are going to finish with a discussion about the lack of media coverage on the missing and murdered indigenous women. All of these discussions are tied together by the deep-rooted systemic racism in white supremacy in the United States. And that is just one of the things that we want to bring to light and discuss here on this podcast. Since our last episode... Aired, we had been focusing on the anti Asian discrimination for kind of the last two episodes, and we started tying it into Black Lives Matter and all that. And in the last few weeks since we recorded, there has been a big new wave in police brutality cases coming out. And I, at least from what I have been seeing in the media and on social media, The two biggest ones have been of two children, which were Adam Toledo and Micaiah Bryant. Adam Toledo, he was 13 and Micaiah was 16. And they were both brutally murdered. And at least in my opinion, with these cases, it's really hard to digest when the videos of the killings are kind of the first thing that you see when you look on the news and the media. And I feel like that's also why it's sprung so much controversy again because they show those videos just so plain and blatantly and when you watch that that is so just upsetting have you all seen either of those videos
1: I actually haven't seen either of them I think I saw one of them come up on my twitter feed the other day but it had like a like a trigger warning attached to it so I didn't even open it but I didn't realize that that's what it was when I was seeing it. Like I didn't realize that was the same thing.
0: Yeah, and in both of the cases the the problem that I'm seeing and you know, cuz with these police police brutality cases with majority of them, they always have to point out the circumstances that are happening around the cases. You know, they, they have to say, well, he, the, the person did this, you know, he had stolen money. He was trying to do something like from the store. He had this on him, they had this on him. But is any of that worthy of death? I personally do not think so. And so with both of these cases, the Adam Toledo one. They said that he had a gun on him and that he had thrown it over the fence when the police officer approached him. And that has just been this huge thing that all the news organizations are, you know, posting on the fact that he had a gun, the fact that he had a gun. The kid was 13. The kid was a seventh grader. Like it there there's it doesn't like to me, I'm just like how there should be a better way than having to kill somebody.
3: I think in the video he also puts like his hands up, mm-hmm. and like the officer just um, automatically fires away, and he's not de-escalating the situation at all. Like when he easily could have probably tased him or sprayed him, because I know that using a gun is usually is supposed to be the last source of force um, to de-escalate the situation.
0: Yeah.
2: So I, I just looked up an article on it, and it does say that it appears that he tossed the handgun over the fence before raising his hands. And then a second later, he shot him. And he was he was then placed on a 30-day administrative leave.
0: And to me, it's like a 30-day administrative leave. Like, why would you not just completely remove him from the line in general? In that situation even, I think, was more clear that I think it's now come out that the gun wasn't loaded. And so just, you know, another reason to not have shot the child but with the Micaiah Bryant situation it seems that the lines were a little bit more blurred she called the police because she felt like she was being threatened I think she was being bullied is like roughly what the situation was and in self-defense to defend herself she had gotten a knife and when the police approach the scene, and this is what you can see in the video, is that she is holding a knife and there's like pushing another girl against a car. And I found an article and this is where I kind of wanted to get y'all's opinion on this as well, because I think, you know, everyone's going to, you know, have an opinion on this. But so the I found some articles where it was about a man who was an expert on. Studying what happens with like police brutality cases when situations like that escalate and kind of basing it on like what the proper protocol is for situations like that. He said that in the Micaiah Bryant case, with everything that happened step by step, that the police officer took the correct protocol in using his weapon in the situation. I just feel like in general, like not even when it comes to children, like just when it comes to police de-escalation, there should be something better, better than a taser, but not to where it's going to kill you like a gun.
1: Can you explain what happened? I haven't seen it. And I know you're saying that there was like a car and a knife, but I don't know what actually happened.
0: I mean, like. You If you find the video, you can just kind of plainly see, but it's like he approaches the situation and there's like a group of girls standing around in front of a car and Micaiah is like holding a knife, kind of like not like stabbing it at anyone, but it's in the back of her hand. And she's like, they're having some sort of altercation on the car and the police just pull up and then it's filming for a few minutes and then it just like they open fire and like. You can see her body fall down and, you know, it just happens that fast. And so the reason they are saying, this is what I'm talking about with the circumstances surrounding all the cases and how they try to make the circumstances a bigger deal is that they were saying that because she was holding a knife and because it seemed like she was being a threat to somebody else, that that justifies what occurred. And I just, it just doesn't sit right with me.
2: I, I will say I'll add on that is a big argument that people have with the mental health stuff. Why the hell are cops showing up to deal with mental health operations? That should not be the way that this that goes. Like there should be a trained professional that shows up that knows what they're doing, rather than someone that is not trained at all in that field.
1: How long does it take to go through the police academy?
0: Mm,
1: I think like not long enough to have like a mental health degree.
0: No, well, that's what I, that's what I've always said. Like therapists have to go through eight years of school and like psychiatrists have to go through eight years of school and you're just going to let like a police officer do two years of training, handle these kind of situations.
2: So I don't know if you guys have heard of this or not before, but the rules of engagement for the U S military overseas is more strict than the rules of engagement for police officers domestically. in say like somewhere in the Middle East, even if someone has a gun, and you know with whatever is going on over there, if you know they're going to shoot at you, you can't even shoot at them until they shoot at you. Over here, the fact that we don't even have that domestically is kind of insane when you think about it.
0: And that's like the problem to me and the problem that I saw last summer with all the uprising uh, for Black Lives Matter against police brutality is It's the system. And that's the systemic racism that we talk about and that is so prevalent in the United States is it's built on a corrupt system that is inherently racist.
2: So you were talking about kind of the police system, how it's like...
0: Yeah, just like the systemic racism and how like kind of relating to ACAB, which, you know, is controversial statement... But that statement in itself is just kind of describing what I'm talking about and that they're not all cops are going to be bad. Like not all, not every single cop is bad, but it's a bad system. It's a corrupt system. So they can be good people, a part of a corrupt system.
2: So, okay. So what I was going to say on that is, is currently the way our justice system works in a lot of ways, there's a lot of room for human error because a lot of the decisions that are made are based off, say, like, a judge decides how long someone should have to be sentenced compared to, like, you know, they could go higher or lower compared to their own personal biases. And then police officers, they can decide who they want to stop depending on who they decide to be more guilty or less guilty. And in a lot of cases, the racial biases and stereotypes that a majority of people have I mean, even good people can have racial stereotypes about people if they lack knowledge or lack experience with that group. And then those will seep into their actions. So that's kind of what you're seeing with police officers. If there's a white police officer that has racial biases that black people are more likely to be criminals, then the moment they see a black kid on the street, they're going to automatically assign that to them. And then that's going to end up creating discrimination against them.
1: Okay so on Tuesday, April 20th, Officer Derek Chauvin was convicted of murder in two accounts and manslaughter for pinning George Floyd to the pavement with his knee, and which triggered all of the worldwide protests, which progressively moved along the Black Lives Matter movement, but finally was convicted on Tuesday of this week. So a jury of six white people and six black or multiracial people came together to come to this verdict after deliberations over two days. He's obviously now been fired from his job. In the official charges, he was found guilty of second-degree unintentional murder, third-degree murder, and second-degree manslaughter. Chauvin is currently being kept in solitary confinement for 23 of the 24 hours of the day at a maximum security prison in Minnesota. He is let out for one hour a day to exercise, and he's being kept there for fears for his own safety from the other people in the prison system. He's still waiting to be officially sentenced, but the worst of his charges can be sentenced for up to 40 years in prison and he has 3.
0: I mean, and that the fact that that ruling occurred is was a really good step. Was it just proved that, you know, not everything in our justice system is so bad. I don't want to say it's good because I'm not going to give it that much credit. But in relation to that, though, I wanted to bring up something that I had found about the video filmed of George of George Floyd's death, how that played a major role in the case against Derek Chauvin and in the trial. Because what has kind of emerged in the last five to 10 years with video has been this ability to be able to get proof of these occurrences because in the past it would just be word of mouth. And now like there's a way that you can film it and post it on the internet and millions of people are going to be able to see this injustice happening. And I had, I found something about that and it is in a, bbc article about black lives matter can viral videos stop police brutality and this came out last summer right after the death of george floyd and the video which was uploaded by a young black girl named darnella frazier and she has kind of become just this example of this online activism that they call it in how she was the person that posted the video that got millions and millions of views and since Tuesday has now initially led to the accusation and finding that Derek Chauvin is guilty.
1: Something that I want to add to that, Fiona, in that same article that I was reading about the overall charges that were announced the other day, There was a quote from George Floyd's younger brother, and he's saying that today we're finally able to breathe again. But he also compares his brother to Emmett Till, who was lynched in Mississippi in 1955. But he specifically says, except that this time there were cameras around to show the world what happened. And so I think that goes right along with what you were saying, and that's something that people are recognizing I mean, this is in national news, obviously, and I think that that's just—I think it's—it's it's a really good thing that's happening.
3: Yeah, and I feel like a lot of more people are doing a lot more citizen journalism in a way because I feel like you know they feel like some topics aren't covered as much by the media, so people will go out of their way to do it themselves, or if they see something happening, you know, they'll record it because they know it's
1: wrong and it needs to be seen. You have this online community of people who have such an inventory of knowledge and this stronger feeling of unity between them, which allows digital activism to cover so many things.
2: So I think y'all make a great point. And kind of on that matter, I'd be curious if y'all think like, if that wouldn't have happened with George, George Floyd, if there wouldn't been such a clear angle of what happened to him, would he have just been another statistic that kind of just got pushed to the side? So like in a lot of ways, maybe the video was, is the reason why it's becoming so. Uh...
0: When there is a good video from a good angle of these deaths, it plays a bigger role in how publicized it is by the media, one hundred percent. Because if there's not as good of an angle, there's so much more opportunity for people to try to fill in the blanks of what's actually going on or what actually happened. And that's why I think the two cases with Adam Toledo and Micaiah Bryant are important because they both had pretty clear video footage.
3: Yeah, especially in this day and age, you know, everyone has an iPhone. It, every every little move that you do kind of out in person, it's it's... It seems like, so you have to be careful.
0: So as for resources, when it comes to wanting to keep up with police brutality and wanting to keep up with, you know, what's going on within the amount of deaths and the most recent news articles about it. There is not actually one single database counting the number of people killed by police in America every year, but there is an independent research group called Mapping Police Violence, and you can find them at mappingpoliceviolence.org, and they have kind of risen up as the main database collecting information on police brutality and on police killings. And according to MappingPoliceViolence.org, so far in 2021, 319 people have been killed and they are being killed at similar rates to previous years. Most police killings begin with traffic stops, mental health checks, domestic disturbances, or reported low-level offenses. But so when you first get on, um, it has this like... Map. Well, let me just reload it because it's not working. Okay. So when you first get on, it has this map of the United States and does like a progressive like adding up of all of the police killings that have occurred since I think this is only 2020 because I'm pretty sure it ends in December. Um, but then when you scroll down, they have a ton of good statistics on here. It literally says there has only been three days in 2021 where police did not kill someone. Um, Just a bunch of good stats. But the thing that I wanted to show, which I think is very beneficial, is this right here. This is like a database that they have created where you can look up any police department in the United States and find between 2013 and 2021 how many... People were killed by police brutality. And so I went ahead and did Lubbock. Yeah. I went ahead and did Lubbock. And so this is what it looks like. So you can click and you can get their names. You can look at their race, their sex, type of encounter whether they were armed, cause of death, and then the knew that it
1: occurred.
0: I just think that. I'm curious,
2: when you're done with that, can you go up to the thing where it said by race?
0: Uh, where?
2: Uh, It was like kind of up a little bit, towards the top. Right there. This? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So black people are most likely to be killed by the police three times more likely to be killed by police than a white person.
2: And I think that's a really good statistic to show because there's Mm -hmm. a lot of people who are on the other side of this who don't believe it's a problem. And they say that more white people get shot and they do, but that's because statistically compared to the full amount of that population, there's a much higher percentage of black people that are getting shot than white people. So it's kind of like a fake statistic that's used to downplay this.
0: Mm-hmm. And then when you scroll like past this, you can find demand action from your representatives. So you can find out where your representative stands and then they have all of these news articles that you can click on that have good resources and more information. So overall, I think that mapping police violence is probably the best resource I've found in looking for finding updated information on police violence.
2: That's really good. How'd you find that?
0: Just through some Google links. <laughs> So in relation to all this discussion we've been having over the past few episodes about social justice and about racism and just kind of striving to talk about these issues and make them more aware to people in like our community, we, one of our guest hosts, Tovi has some really good points and perspectives on the cases of missing and murdered Indigenous women.
3: So it's, I want to talk about the issue, more like an epidemic that's happening in these rural Montana reservations. These Native American women, men, and children are going missing or being found dead. And the data isn't really being collected properly because where these cases are happening, they're happening in a jurisdiction minefield. So When I say that, it's because tribal reservations are for tribal authority only. They have their own, basically they're their own country. They have their own jurisdictions and everything. So like FBI can't really get involved really in anything or local police. However, in 2016, Trump did sign two bills, one called the Savannah Act and one called the Invisible Act. And these help coordinate better law enforcement to these regions and um, help better collect data properly. Oh, another crazy fact that I found, Native Americans make up 6% of Montana's population but they make up 26% of the missing persons in Montana. That's why, I mean, there are other people going missing in, like, different, in different states, like Nevada. I guess there's reservations in New Mexico. But in Montana, it's really becoming like an epidemic where a lot of Native American women and men are going missing. And it's just, it's really crazy when they only make up 6% of the population, but 26% of missing persons. It's really crazy.
0: What I, what I kind of took away from that video you sent, there was this video that Toby sent us from Vice, which was all about these missing and indigenous women in Montana. And what I took from that in regards to the like police and the data collection is that on their reserves, there's so much property that depending on where like the person goes missing, it can be up to like, three different types of local officials to decide who figures out where this missing person even is.
3: It depends like where their body's found or where the call is even, you know, if like say like, hey, I'm calling from here, but they find their body somewhere else. It's like, okay, it's in Lubbock then. Um, That's how that case would be like classified as that. And even when they are, you know, reported these cases, they're reporting them as overexposure suicide overdose like one her name was selena not afraid she was found you know in a sage bush a mile from where she was reported missing and to you know she was aware of her surroundings she was 18 years old and then to be found literally a mile away from where she was last seen five days after is really crazy and her case was never investigated. It was never
0: Yeah, it like wasn't given the proper coverage that it deserved. And I feel like that's the problem with many of these cases of missing and indigenous women uh going missing is that the United States has pretty much so far estranged these people from like the modern culture and, you know, when they live on the reserve they are like miles out from like other society that they don't place them as importance when it comes to reporting these deaths and reporting these murders and trying to find these women and posting about them, them being missing. It is just not made importance. And something I found in a local news article from Salt Lake City, Utah, they talk about how these indigenous groups are moving to social media which i think is kind of what you talked about earlier toby the um citizen journalism and stuff like that and like reporting their stories on different platforms and TikTok has actually taken off as one of the major ones for indigenous people sharing their stories i think the visual Impact of TikTok is very powerful, and that you can see an Indigenous person. And in this video, she has red paint all over her face and a red handprint covering her mouth to, you know, signify that they're being killed and that they're being silenced. And I think it got over like millions of views.
3: It must be the missing and murdered Indigenous uh, women uh, movement that's really yes. prominent right now on social media. That's. I'm glad it's blowing up.
0: Do you have a little more information about it?
3: Not about the movement as itself, but I was going to say something along the lines of the citizen journalism. A lot of the communities are the ones that are looking for the missing people because, you know, they don't have the resources. They don't have the police force. So, And the reason why it can't be talked on the news a lot, maybe because they don't have like their own... Like news channel or you know close to them and they're not really reporting in their area especially if their cases are being misclassified because a lot of them racially they're being classified as white or latina or they're not being classified as an american uh, like indian as a native american indian so that can yeah. skew a lot of the data
0: And that's something that I saw, too, that really rubbed me the wrong way is that a lot like you just said, a lot of times these murders are being reported. They're being reported as the wrong race. Like they'll be reported as like Latino or as like doesn't matter. They're not being reported as uh, indigenous Native Americans.
2: I guess just more of a question about uh, the research that you've done. So I've heard of this before and the video you sent, I read up a little more on it. He was saying it's not just in that area and it hasn't just started. This has been going on for a while oh, and it's know, happening a yeah, lot
3: This has been a whole like thing that's been happening through generations.
0: Please, white people came to the United States and colonized the Native Americans. Like this has been going on since the start of the United States. Yeah,
3: since the birth of America.
0: I think this is a really good one to end on because of that point. Like Racism is 100% rooted in our country's history and the Native Americans are the ones with the story to prove it. Because obviously the history against black people and the history of slavery, all of that is, plays a huge role, but it started because we stole land that did not belong to us.
2: So kind of a quote going around that, that was used by a very, very powerful social justice leader, is kind of in relation to Native Americans or to black people or to anyone that isn't white in America. Kind of the fact that people now are like, oh, you know, we should drop it. You know, uh, the only reason why it still exists is because people keep bringing it up. The problem with that is, is the metaphor they, they had was if you push a knife into someone nine inches, you pull it out six inches and then go, you're good. That's basically what's going on they haven't even fully removed the knife and they haven't started to patch it up and fix it from what they've done. So we're not they haven't even removed it yet and people are trying to say, oh, move on. We're good, you know, we're past it. When people don't realize stuff is just as much of an issue uh, pre-2000s, but now that it's not in the history books, people just assume everything's good. You know, we got Instagram, we got Facebook, things like that can't be going on anymore when they clearly still very much are.
3: Yeah. And I think yeah. like the Instagram like is helping it become more, you know, aware and it's helping people know that this is, is happening. It's only really the community that does something about it or the ones that really care. And it's, it's really sad because, because in, in reservations, it's really, you know, it's really rural and it's, it's, they're left in not in the best, you know, land. They don't give them the best land. It's yeah, really hard to harvest on. Yeah, they don't, they don't, you know, they don't have the best medical. They don't have Hostiles. enough funding for their schools. Yeah, their schools, groceries, and anything that we take granted for. Like, I live right down the street from a Walmart. I can literally go get anything. They don't have things like that. Like, people have to drive out to them because they can't get to the closest city because it's, like, literally a 100 or something miles away. And, you know, it's just impossible, and it's really sad.
0: Yeah, they've been they've been ostracized by the like by the United States kind of as a whole and I mean it's like not super relevant but just what we were saying I I do see a lot of indigenous TikToks and I try to keep up with them because I think it's important and they have a very beautiful culture like and it's very interesting to learn about but they post also about a lot of the messed up situations and circumstances they are put in living on the reservations and in their grocery stores food is like five times its normal price like I don't understand that at all like it's like so taxed and so overpriced for them to get like a box of cereal or something like that and so that's why they are still ostracized and you know kind of forced to live off the land and that's why a lot of people end up leaving their native reservations and straying from their culture is because it's not practical to live on the reservations
2: no, and I'd be curious on y'all's thoughts on, w- would you think it's relevant, kind of how something like this that's so important, and then the lack of education, and then uh, even in the video, something that I've heard of before is just the fact that there's so little opportunity for like a college education and stuff like that for people in those areas, and all these issues are going on, and then the one thing that national media can get behind is the changing of an NFL name, if that kind of makes sense. like. While that was so important, the fact that that's the only thing that's being talked about when all of this other stuff is going on is kind of weird when you think about it.
3: And the sad thing was people didn't even, like, they were just like, why change it? Like, why? Like, you know, people, it didn't offend most people, but it offended, you know, Native Americans. It's it's very offensive.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. I think that's a good point to bring up, Justin, because you're exactly right. Like, with the hundreds of murdered native americans that have probably already happened in the last year the only thing that they can think to really bring up is the changing of an nfl team name and even then so many people were pissed off about it and were just like why not just leave it but that is what prevents change is saying like it's been that way for so many years like why not just leave it the way it is like no that's that's how you prevent change from happening you have to make these changes, even if they seem uncomfortable, you know? If you wanted some more additional resources on the missing and murdered Indigenous woman epidemic, you can find some on a website called mmiwresources.card.co. And it has like some extensive resources where you can read up on the Savannah Act that Toby was mentioning earlier. They have data on the decolonization of indigenous peoples. They have a lot of news resources and articles. And then they also have a page of petitions and calls to action that you can sign as well. So we will be linking that in the description for this podcast episode as well. And I think that pretty much wraps up everything we were wanting to cover today. We really just wanted to get into several different things that tie into the systemic racism in the United States. And we hope that you enjoyed this episode of Media Over Matter. And join us again next time.